it's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios, welcome Sandy, thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in DC is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. And you still like me or you, or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You all right? <laughs> I'm a musician, I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Cindy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. Youngkin's wrap-up rally last night in Loudoun County. The person that posted that on Twitter said, I felt, uh, I don't know if I'm at a rally or a rock concert, but uh, it was amazing. Uh, it happened around 10 o'clock last night. The election day in Virginia is today. Someone else uh, posted that the there was literally a mile of standstill traffic leading to the location of his final rally in Loudoun County last night. Um, I want to stop and just remind you for a second why people in Loudoun County, Virginia, are so whipped up about this race today between, it's not just the governor's race, but we're, we're going to get into that in just a second, uh, but between uh, Glenn Youngkin and Terry McAuliffe, because it has boiled down to the situation in the public schools, to a transgender child, uh, son, uh, raping a girl in a, in a women's restroom. Uh, I mean, that's just one part of it. It's been that, the transgender issue, it's been critical race theory. Uh, a Loudoun County mom uh, at a school board, also said it very well. I want you to hear, and just to remind you why so many people are showing up at these Yunkin rallies, here it is. My children are now in private school and are thriving. We had specifically moved into haste out of LCPS due to the swift and uncompromising political agenda of superintendents Williams, Ziegler, and the, and the school board that have forced upon us. First, it was in early spring of 2020 when my six-year-old somberly came to me and asked me if she was born evil because she was a white person, something she learned in a history lesson at school. Then you kept the schools closed for a year and a half despite the science indicating that it was safe for kids to return. And now you've covered up a rape, then arrested, humiliated, and falsely accused her parents of being domestic terrorists. I wish I could return my kids to LCPS. Private school is expensive and I want my kids to be able to walk home from school with their friends in their own community. I refuse to allow you to destroy our schools. They are not your schools, they are our schools. You all should be ashamed and you should have the moral courage to admit you are wrong and step down. All right, so that was a mom and uh, that's why so many people, that's just a little microcosm of why so many people are so excited and en encouraged, excited, worried. Uh, they're just throwing their hat in the ring. They're doing everything they can. Uh, to see that Terry McAuliffe is defeated because he said publicly that children, parents, should have no right to discuss or have anything to do about what happens to their children in public schools. And so uh, it's, it's a huge problem. But that's not the only race. I want you to hear uh, the, uh, actually, the candidate for G Virginia Attorney General is running against Mark Herring. Mark Herring was uh, elected, oh, what, I think 2014. And I'm telling you, as soon as Mark Herring was elected, uh, the, the Commonwealth of Virginia started just 
teetering to the left. He did some horrible things right out of the box, and yet there he is still in place because Virginia has turned pretty much uh, into a blue state. But now things look to be perhaps, maybe, maybe different. Jason Mayares was on last night on Fox. He is the Republican candidate for Virginia, Virginia Attorney General. Let's listen to what he had to say. Well, listen, you're exactly right. Not only would I be the first Latino ever elected, I'd be the first child of an immigrant ever elected as attorney general. So I, I say to every group, whether it's Korean Americans or Indian Americans or Latinos, listen, if your family came to this country seeking hope and opportunity, there's a good chance your family is a lot like my family. It'd be the biggest honor of my life to be your attorney general. Because at the end of the day, they want the same things. They are so concerned about what they're seeing with politicians playing political games with the safety of our kids in our schools. They're so concerned about a parole board in Virginia that's letting out cop killers, murderers, and rapists, sometimes with decades on their sentence, back on the streets early. Yeah. And sometimes they've committed more crimes. They're seeing inflation through the roof. It's so many, as you know, Rachel, Latinos, or so many of our entrepreneurs, that's right. they see how hard it is to start a business. We're 49th in the country in starting a business right now in Virginia. And that's why they are flocking with us. In our polling, we're winning the Latino vote, and so is Glenn Youngkin. And we have a, a really loved everybody into our campaigns. Right. This is not about left or right in Virginia right now. It's about a movement. It's about common sense. And that's why we're winning independence by double digits, 12, 15 points right now. We're ready to win. All right. So that's uh, Jason Mayares, who was running against Mark Herring for attorney general. And you heard what he said. I don't need to repeat it. Uh, and I, I, you know, this is when uh, the foolishness of thinking that conservatives don't want immigrants in this country or Latinos uh, when we, I think, fully understand that people who come here and adopt the values that made this country great, that was the values of our founding fathers, uh, their commitment to their belief in God and their belief in the morality that was a point in the, the uh, Judeo-Christian scriptures and their embracement of that and also their, you know, their implementing of that in their laws. Uh, if you come here and you agree with this, you make immigrants make fabulous citizens when they embrace the ideals of the Constitution and the Founding Fathers. And so, uh, so, so much for, you know, so much for racism and so much for uh, not wanting immigrants in this country. That's just, I hope it, it serves, I hope Virginia serves as that state where this whole notion that everything is racist and everything is about color uh, is put to rest. I want to mention another race. There is a, a Democratic state delegate, Hala, Hala, or Hala Ayala, who's running against a former Republican state delegate, Winsome Sears. She is a black former Marine, and uh, as Ken Cuccinelli told us yesterday, she's the most conservative person in the race. And so that's just a couple of the other races. Now I want to give you some a reality check, because I was, if you listened yesterday, I was pushing back. Ken Cuccinelli and I talk a lot. He's a good friend, and he, um, he often, you know, is Mr. Pessimist, and I sometimes have some optimism. But in this race, uh, in this situation in Virginia, I have been a skeptical because I saw, gee, I think maybe others did too, but I sort of saw that there was uh, there was some terrible uh, cheating and underhandedness and um, sleight of hand, that there was nothing that the left wouldn't do in the 2020 election to win. And I know that they've gained such great power. There is no way. I'm telling you right now, there is no way that they will let Terry McAuliffe and the rest of the people on the ticket on the left uh, lose without doing everything in their power to stop it. And some things, you know, I, so I, I think fasten your seatbelts, people in Virginia, 
The only way, the only way, and I don't care what the polls say, they say that um, that Yunkin is ahead by eight points. I don't care what they say. The left is going to pull out all the stops, and you just better be prepared. I saw someone saying, someone pointed out Mark Elias has been hired. Mark Elias is uh, not a name that's not probably familiar to most of you, but he was the central uh, guiding force of the uh, of the horrendous uh 2020 election. He was the Democratic operative, the attorney who was hired to lead the host of uh, leftist attorneys uh, to make sure they won. Uh, and so uh, he's been hired by Terry McAuliffe. So, okay, so there's that. Uh, you might think that the Republicans would respond in like kind, but that, that didn't happen. I can tell you, I can tell you uh, that I was at the table when we tried to get Republican operatives to take seriously what we knew was coming in the 2020 races. And, you know, they had their, you know, they had their, had lots of money and they weren't real concerned. And you know what? They're still not real concerned. And I'm telling you that if uh, Glenn Youngkin pulls this off, it will not be because of the Republican Party in Virginia. It will not be because of the Republican Party. And I would like to say to those of you who are really conservative, do not give your money to the Republican Party. I'm not talking about a candidate. If you have a candidate that you think is solidly conservative, who happens to be a Republican, uh, donate directly to that candidate. Do not give to the party. Uh, they cannot be trusted. Uh, they've, they're still, I was just reading today some of the other races that are up in various uh, states today, some other key positions, and, and just reminding myself of, uh, well, one's a lobbyist who's the Republican. Yeah, that's that. That's kind of code for it doesn't. Maybe, maybe there are exceptions, but for the most part, that does not mean conservative. And that's the person that. And you see that Kevin McCarthy is still leading in the House. Kevin is, Kevin is really pathetic. There are some great guys who could lead the conservatives in the House of Representatives, and they are not Kevin McCarthy. There is a there's a weakness and a rot. There's also Mitch McConnell in the Senate. Uh, who does? Who doesn't? You know, he's uh, doesn't want you to think there was any voter fraud. He wants to get past that. You know, this is the kind of people that are running the party. So I, I guess I'm emphasizing it more than I should. But tr don't trust them. And if uh, the problem is, if Glenn Youngkin wins today in Virginia, they'll take a victory lap and they'll say it was what they did, and they'll rake in a lot of money. So don't fall for that. Okay, don't fall for that. Now another report coming out from Capital Research Center is that. Uh, According to public records, Terry McAuliffe has raked in $15.9 million in contributions uh, from outside money. And that comes from Democratic Governors Association, the Virginia Democratic Party, uh, Service Employees International, that's SEIU, uh, both of the teachers' unions, American Veterans, because they're all, you know, all down with uh, critical race theory and LGBT, you know, bathroom lack of distinctions, they're all down with that. So the NEA and the American Federation of Teachers together have given McAuliffe's campaign in Virginia $675,000. Another contributors are Black Lives Matter PAC, People for the American Way, uh, anti-gun groups uh, funded by Bloomberg, and I could go on and on, Planned Parenthood. So those are the people. And Terry McAuliffe has pulled in tons of money from the outside. That's $15.9 million. Glenn Youngkin, by contrast, has pulled in $6.6 million in donations from a handful of PACs and business, associ business associations. Uh, so um, just telling you, uh, there are odds against Youngkin, no matter what the crowds are. I'm not saying that to discourage you. Uh, it's possible he might pull this off. As I was watching, 
you know, everything happened in Virginia this morning reading all of this stuff. I think, is it possible? Is it even possible? Is it possible that Republicans could prevail and take back Virginia, given what the left has gained, how much power they have, how they are beating their chests, feeling their oats, uh, putting the American people in bondage to COVID restrictions and mandates? Really? Really? They're going to let this go down without a fight? I find that hard to believe. And yet, I see the American people fighting, and it encourages me. Could it possibly be? Could it be that we could take this country back? Could it possibly be? Well, one of the ways that that could happen is for you to flood the polls, flood, flood, flood the polls. And that means in Texas, too. And we're going to get to Texas's election today in just a little bit. Let me say a couple of more things here. Last night, uh, Shanna Bream was on with, she had Carrie Severino, our buddy Carrie, uh, who was on with us yesterday morning. And they discussed what happened with the SCOTUS discussion about the Texas abortion bill yesterday morning. Let's listen. Uh, Yeah, it definitely seems like uh, several of the justices on the court were frustrated that this law was designed to delay uh, uh, adjudication until after uh, enforcement. But what I thought was most striking was that how um, unreceptive the court was Mm -hmm. to the Department of Justice's uh, arguments. It seemed very clear that they just were not having any of the really strained legal theories that uh, the the increasingly radical Attorney General Merrick Garland seemed to be bringing here. They just seemed very concerned that that would open the door to the federal government basically suing any state mm-hmm. over any law they deemed to be unconstitutional. It would really change the system. Yeah, so that was the, that second case that was argued today, is whether the Justice Department can go sue Texas over this uh, abortion law that it doesn't like. Here's Justice Breyer talking about that idea. Is it that the federal government, no matter who's in charge, without a statute, Whatever party, whatever president can just go and intervene in any case, uh, can bring a federal case whenever they think a state law is affecting private people is unconstitutional. So now let me get this straight. Justice Breyer is one of the justices on the left, and he's saying the Justice Department is interjecting themselves in Texas. Does this mean this is going to happen in the future just for any law that they don't like? I wonder, could it possibly be that Justice Breyer is becoming a conservative? Wow, wow, wow. Wouldn't that be something if Youngkin wins today and Justice Breyer becomes a conservative? We know that the earth has shifted. All right, be right back talking about Texas. Stay tuned. We are not allowed to have a U-Haul that comes to heaven with us. Anna Marie Travers has an AFA Foundation charitable gift annuity. The Lord has given us uh, things that we can uh, acquire, uh, but you know, everything will stay here. And I'm so thankful for for the American Family uh, Annuity Fund, where we can give some to something that we so highly value. Through the AFA Foundation, a charitable gift annuity provides a monthly income as well as a legacy of support for the American Family Association. I cannot uh, recommend a a better person than uh, they have at AFA to help you with getting your annuity fund. It was so easy. Call the AFA Foundation today to find out how you can set up a charitable gift annuity. Just call 800-326-4543. Extension 345. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. 
Today, we pray for Michael Regan, Administrator of the Environmental Protection Agency. He oversees enforcement of environmental statutes, including the Clean Air Act and the Clean Water Act. Genesis 1.10 reminds us that we should care for the earth, which is God's creation. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Michael Regan as he works on behalf of our environment. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary next. If you're a first responder, you know the right training can make all the difference in a crisis. At Liberty University, we know the right training can make all the difference for your future. So we're proud to offer you a 25% discount on our more than 450 online degree programs. Combine this discount with our generous military benefits if you or your spouse also have military experience. Learn more about getting the right training at Liberty University by texting DEGREE to 49595. That's DEGREE to 49595. The Federal Reserve is the latest government agency to go woke, announcing guidelines governing the use of certain words, phrases, and pronouns. A staffer leaked the guidelines exclusively to Fox News, urging people to steer clear of biased terms like founding fathers, manpower, and man-made. The Federal Reserve says bias-free language is about diversity, and staffers were told to stop using words that might stereotype or demean people based on gender, race, ethnicity, or sexual orientation. Now, that's going to be especially tricky when it comes to singular generic pronouns. He, she, his, and hers are now big no-nos. Instead, the Federal Reserve says staffers should use bias-free alternatives like they and theirs. It would be fair to say the Federal Reserve has blacklisted singular pronouns, but the word blacklist has also been blacklisted. I'm Todd Starnes. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Tucker Carlson has created a terrorist recruitment video. Fox TV branching into fantasy programming. A new series from Tucker Carlson traffics and conspiracy theories surrounding the insurrection on January 6th. Tucker Carlson attempting to rewrite history around the January 6th insurrection. Tucker Carlson makes a tribute video to the terrorists. Tucker Carlson is hitting a new low, completely rewriting the history of the Capitol insurrection in a way that defies belief. Tuckums previewed a documentary that goes beyond the usual Daughters of the Confederacy rewrite of the January 6th insurrection to shameless lying and conspiracy mongering. Tucker Carlson is leaning way in to uh, disinformation regarding January 6th. And it's kind of terrifying because uh, what he's putting out there is just going to lead to more violence. It might be Tucker Carlson's most dangerous moment yet. Fox News' right-wing host is taking his assault on democracy to terrifying new heights in a brand new series promising to tell the truth, he says, about January 6th. It actually appears to be nothing but a war on the truth. It's filled with lies about what led to the riot and the prosecution of the rioters and even includes a blatantly false assertion that the Capitol riot was a, quote, false flag operation. False flag. Anytime you don't like what your people did, you claim there was a false flag. Tucker is peddling some deeply dangerous propaganda 
that the insurrection was actually a false flag operation. What uh, Carlson is doing is unforgivable and, and, and really just uh, horrible. I, w- I want to say criminal, but technically that's not true, uh, although maybe it should be. Tucker Carlson is inciting violence. Isn't this just an incitement to another January 6th? Mm. Is that what Tucker Carlson wants? What Tucker Carlson is doing is going against the American people. The Murdoch family, which controls Fox, is cashing in as American democracy is being set ablaze. Why does Rupert Murdoch want to destroy America? The Murdochs and Tucker Carlson, their primetime pyromaniac, appear to be hellbent on dragging this country into a civil war. Jefferson Davis would be proud. Oh, you know what? They left one out because uh, Jim Acosta actually called Tucker's new video, his uh, documentary, of what happened, what actually happened on January 6th. Jim Acosta calls it proud boy porn. So you know that when all of those anchors and all of those networks are so, you know, frothing at the mouth that Tucker must be onto something and certainly is. And uh, I want you to know he started it last night. He's going to air it uh, the next three nights uh, on Fox Nation. If you don't belong to Fox Nation, I think they have a way for you to listen free. You go to Tucker Carlson on Fox, and uh, I got to see a little bit of it last night, but not much yet. Uh, but I, I'm sure Tucker's going to do a great job. Our friend Julie, oh, Julie, Julie, who's on our on all the time talking about this, uh, is featured in it, and several other people that you will recognize, Mike Waller, another good friend. So these are people I trust, and so, and Tucker, I go back a long way with Tucker. So um, in uh, watch and take notes and share it with your friends, and remember that if all of these anchors and networks are so upset, he might be on something. All right, well, there is another election today that we have neglected, and this, you know, this huge state called Texas from which many of you come. And so we have to talk about it, and to talk about it, I've asked Dave Welch, who is the executive director of the Texas Pastors Council. Dave, I've known Dave a long time. I hardly ever see him, but he made his... I think the reason you might recognize his name is because you will recall that Houston elected a lesbian mayor who demanded that church pastors in the city of Houston turn over their sermon notes uh, to make sure they hadn't said anything bad about homosexuality, and that uh, thus formed this Houston Pastors Council, and they became a force for good, not only in Houston, but in the entire state of Texas. And Dave is there executive director and was in the middle of all of that day. Thanks for joining us this morning. Great to be with you, Sandy. Yeah, so, uh, oh, I don't even know where to start. I know that you guys have an election today, and you, you have been all over this. So kind of describe to us, in general at least, uh, what's at stake in Texas today as people go to the ballot box. Well, this year in Texas, uh, we have primarily statewide, only state constitutional amendments on the ballot. We have a couple of special, local special elections for House races, and, uh, and a, a number of the larger school districts in the state have school board elections. That's really what's gotten, of course, a lot of the attention this year for evident reasons, where uh, critical race theory has exploded here as well and drawn a lot of ire from parents and others who stepping forward. So that's what we have on the ballot. One of the state propositions uh, for a constitutional amendment, though, however, does uh, add in the Constitution protections for churches and religious services from any government entity restricting those services at any time. Now, we we passed it in the state legislature as a uh, state code, but this puts it in the Constitution. So those are kind of the major things on the ballot today. 
You know, I'm curious because I don't remember. Uh, did Governor Abbott sign that uh, the the, uh, the, uh, the the law that uh, said that tex- uh, churches could not be restrained from meeting? That the, it wasn't government's purview to do that. Did he sign that? He did. Yes. Okay. Yeah, right. We we passed uh, a couple versions of that during the, the regular legislative session, and um, so that that is in in fact in the law now. But of course, as we well know. And of course, we pray that, that we won't ever have a majority that would try to strip that away. But we have to prepare for the worst. So we're, the, the legislature uh, insightfully put it on the ballot to put it in the Constitution as well. Yeah, you know, uh, Virginia has <clears throat> sort sucked up all the oxygen on the uh, school board issue. But I know because of what I do, I hear from like I remember a, a group of parents in South Dakota were railing against critical race theory. We know that in California, uh, parents have gone into hyperdrive, fighting back the school systems. I don't know as much about Texas. So can you describe to me how are people up in arms in Texas? I know you mentioned it in passing, but are people in Texas energized and up in arms about the, uh, the issues of critical race theory and also the, the LGBTQ indoctrinations? Well, there is an, an escalation of that. First of all, one good thing is the legislature also uh, and the governor put on the special call for or the call for the first special session and second sessions, uh, critical race theory restrictions. So we actually passed uh, laws in the legislature clamping down on the teaching of critical race theory in its content, of course. And that's always the trick, as you know, Sandy, because, look, the left is masterful at reinventing language. In fact, we just heard the latest uh, attack on pronouns. But the issue is uh, when we they'll put something out. You remember Goals 2000? You remember yes. uh, Outcome-Based outcome education. education? Yes, I do. Right. So critical race theory is really just the latest manifestation of a generational uh, leftist Marxist uh, approach in the government school system. But it, it has gotten attention. But as we know, because of the the, already the movement at local school boards in some areas to simply go around the the law. It's uh, there's a lot of state a lot of school boards that, that are up, and I think there's going to be some significant changes now. You know, here's my concern with that. And look, we've been dealing with these kind of issues, Sandy. I know you have for 30 years. I mean, this is it's and this goes way beyond that. The system is is a government school system. It is controlled now by the federal government and even as important as electing these local school boards is it will not change the system and and, and this is this is a time for people parents in particular pastors especially to call people to step up and take responsibility for their children's education and and more often than not get them out of the government school system oh i totally agree i wish we could completely break the back of the public school system. Yeah, I think it was Ronald Reagan who wanted to def, uh, defund the Department of Education. I mean, that there's well, been you know, a move. It was in the, con- was in the contract with America, as you recall. I don't recall. So oh, thanks for reminding yeah. me. Yeah. yeah so it's yeah, been a... Dis- so, but... <laughs> go, ahead. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I just what the point is, it's been in discussion for a very long time because we've yeah. had a, somehow... Our, depart- our education system morphed out of the original children in one-room schools or in their parents' house learning scriptures 
uh, and local control so that parents could control, have relationships with teachers. There'd be parent-teacher associations, and they'd work closely together with the administration to make sure that our children were being educated, and somehow that became corrupt. And actually, Ida Front's Rosita, that too, Dave. I was a, I was studied to be a teacher, and when I graduated, it was in the 70s, and I went into a public schools uh, as a sub. I never, I didn't teach full-time. I ended up being a musician full-time. Uh, but I taught in public schools, and I saw it with my own eyes the actual turn uh, of teachers when they unionized to resenting uh, uh, administrators, terrible resentment. There, I, I would go into the teachers' lounge, and it was like venom in there, complaining and about you know all kinds of things. That was the beginning of trouble, I think, when they unionized. And then I saw schools just start deteriorating. I saw behavior deteriorating. So we know what happened. I know what happened. I saw it. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. And, and as uh, one of my uh, former positions in the Back in the late 80s and early 90s, I was the uh, state executive director for Christian Coalition uh, and then became national field director. But during that time, we would infiltrate workshops of the national, uh, of the NEA uh, that were designed. I mean, they didn't hide them. The topics were basically how to uh, uh, respond to the religious right. I mean, they were doing workshops for teachers and administrators specifically on how to try to demonize and marginalize uh, Christians who were raising these concerns. Yeah, and I remember that too. Is, Let me just tell you, do you remember this title? They, they This was during the VCR days. And they had a VCR that they, that, you know, was not public, public knowledge, but I was on radio, uh, I guess in Chicago at the time. And it was called, uh, the video was called It's Elementary. And it was oh, the yeah. first time, yes, the first yeah. time I had seen them really try to indoctrinate teachers, not tell the parents. Uh, it was pretty appalling. Um, no, it, and this is, but you know, it's interesting though. And, and uh, you know, Phyllis Schlafly, of course, did an epic work, uh, you know, Crisis in the Classroom. There's others. Uh, John Stormer wrote a great book called None Dare Call It Education. Uh, if you go back and study the history of what we call the public school system that really developed in the mid 1800s and developed through the two champions of that are Horace Mann and John Dewey, who were both, both you know, rabid secular humanists. Uh, and, and and very clearly wrote, and you can study this, you can find it now, that their intent was to use the government education system as social change agents, uh, and that was essentially the precursor and directly linked to the tenets that were in the Communist Manifesto and developed through those years. And, the, and there's two humanist manifestos, one in 1933 and one in 1973. They They haven't hidden what their intent and their objective is. For some reason, Christian parents especially, and parents in general, we just kind of look at our local schools and and, and we assume it's just like the old issue with, with uh, you know, people look at their elected officials. Well, my guy's good. It's your guy that's bad. It's true. Yeah. I can tell you, you know, I used to talk about this stuff for years I have uh, on radio, and I would get calls from parents and say, I, listen, I understand that that sounds really bad, but, you know, that doesn't happen in my school. My teachers are really good, our, our administrators. You're exactly right, you're spot on, because what they didn't understand was there was this indoctrination that was happening deeply. It was in the texts of almost every discipline. Uh, it was in teachers' manuals, and, it, and even Christian teachers, I saw them go off the rails because they didn't, they didn't know. They were, they were unaware, and they were easily persuaded. So all of that well, to say— right. 
today in Texas, there are elections. And even if they're not like barn burning elections where you have headlines, I'm sure you would agree, Dave, that you would encourage people to get out there and vote. Make sure that school board candidate, if you don't know who's running, call somebody, a friend that you have who's actually informed. Uh, Because I don't think, I'm guessing that you don't have a any kind of a voting guide for all the school board elections, that would be pretty tedious. So, the, Right, in general, but there are some. And we have a great resource, of course, here, uh, in, uh, uh, called iVote. I think it's there's that. Right, right, right. That produces a uh, basically kind of a voter guide online for various races. They don't uh, get all of them down to all the local level, but they've done many of them. So... Okay. Uh, folks can look that up if they if they don't know. Or again, as you look locally, there have been a number of local conservative groups in in a lot of the different municipalities that have generated some voter information. Uh, people would just do a search, but they definitely need to get out and vote. Yes, uh, and I would I would say in general, if you don't have any other information, just vote for uh, all challengers. Don't vote for incumbents. <laughs> okay, uh, that's a good rule yeah. of thumb. <laughs> Excuse so. me, and also just to remind people about that proposition. It will prevent government from being able to shut down or limit religious services. It's a true separation of church and state, which is really what the founders had in mind, that government should not control what churches do inside, whether they meet or don't meet. And so that's what you'll be deciding. Dave, we have a minute left. Yeah, uh, and by the way, Sandy, that's Proposition 3. So it's okay. just for Proposition 3. Okay, Proposition 3. And uh, you have a lot of uh, you have a lot of information on how to manage pastors, advice to pastors, and voter registration and all of that. And uh, you go to Texas Pastors Council. What is the web address here? I just have the title. Yeah, it's uspastorcouncil.org. Okay. Okay. uspastorcouncil.org. Okay, uspastorcouncil.org. And it will tell you, you know, how to get involved. And I'm sure that you probably are asking people to uh, get involved in their elections to be paid workers in the polls. Uh, for voter registration to take place in your churches, for pastor to, sp- to speak about what's happening. Uh, I wish we had more time, Dave, because, um, you know, I'm just not convinced that our pastors have gotten the message yet about their role in all well, of this. Well, you're exactly right. And that's part of our main mission is to re-educate pastors that this is ministry. It's not politics. It's ministry. It's ministry biblically. Yes, I totally agree. And I, I've made the point many times that pastors don't understand that they have children and teenagers and parents listening to them preach who are in the middle of a terrible battle, none of it being addressed, none of it being addressed. It's as though it's not even happening, and pastors are supposed to be there to guide their flock in the midst of these moral dilemmas, and I, I just think they need to do that, and that's what you guys are all about. Dave, thanks so much. Sandy Rios in the morning. The American Family Association's mission is to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. Our goal is to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training. Here's another of our core values. We believe that our ministry, as well as everything in the heavens and on earth, belongs to God, and our role is that of a trusted manager. Thank you for standing with AFA as we seek to stop the erosion of godly values. Next time on Focus on the Family, Dr. Tony Evans explains what it means to have a kingdom marriage. He shares about maintaining oneness, the importance of having a servant's heart, and how to rebuild a marriage relationship that's been fractured. God's wisdom for your marriage on the next Focus on the Family.
Focus on the Family is heard each weekday morning at 5 o'clock Central on American Family Radio. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Full weaponization of the federal government to crush a political opponent. Politicians and a political party that build themselves as pro-life while refusing to actually do what's in their power to stop the killing of little babies. The successful and unrelenting advance of regressivism. All of these are signs that our national condition is not merely a natural phenomenon. It's spiritual. Civic engagement without spiritual engagement produces political roller coasters. National course correction will only come by national repentance. We must elevate him. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner or visit the podcast page at AFR.net for more from Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. When an abortion-minded woman walks into a pre-born pregnancy center, she encounters love and compassion and gets to meet her baby by ultrasound. And I was like, I'm gonna go to the abortion clinic. And I already had my mind made up. This mom didn't make it to the abortion clinic. Instead, God led her to a pre-born center. And the lady is giving me my ultrasound. She's like making these weird faces and then she's like, it's two. And I'm like, I just start crying. I start texting my friends and like, I can't. The Ministry of Preborn was able to help this mom save not just one life, but two through ultrasounds. Preborn centers help save babies' lives and souls. Preborn runs and leads Christian pregnancy centers all over the country. To find out more, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Your love can save a life. This is Frank Effney with the Secure Freedom Minute. The political world's focus on today's hotly contested election for governor of Virginia may obscure temporarily the launch of a riveting book about the previous presidential one. Importantly, Inside Trump Time by his former advisor, Peter Navarro, hammers home a lesson directly relevant to the voting in Virginia's Fairfax County and other Democratic strongholds. This insider account shows overwhelming turnout by legal voters, objective real-time monitoring of polling operations, and subsequent forensic audits to be essential to assuring election integrity. Dr. Navarro's personal journal also powerfully chronicles what he calls a plague year and policy fights over the COVID-19 crisis and the enemy regime that launched it against us, the Chinese Communist Party. And his documentation of the Trump administration's economic, national security, and strategic successes helpfully indicts the wrecking operation being inflicted on us by its Marxist successor. This is Frank Gaffney. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Can't force someone to have medical treatment that they don't want to have. That's it's a, it's a violation of human rights. I would tell all of our politicians, stop playing politics with our lives and stick to the science. It's coming from the same group that claims to help us the most, that supports us the most, is the Democrats. And it, they're enforcing something that they know people of color have rightful, like, you know, we're, we're worried about the outcome. The firehouse near my house is closed, it's out of service. 26 firehouses are affected, 26. 
And for de Blasio to say that, oh, it's not affected, he's a liar. He's a liar. When we go to calls, we don't look at that person and, and judge, are you worth uh, saving? But now our livelihoods and our family's uh, well-being is questioned, are we worth it? And we never asked that question during the pandemic. But now we're being thrown into the trash like garbage. It's not right. So this city and the politicians that run this city have decided to divide us. They want us fighting each other because they don't want us to find out that they're the ones that did this. All right, that's a montage of uh, New York City workers who are pretty upset. As a matter of fact, there are 9,000 non-compliant municipal workers who are not coming to work uh, in spite of the mandates in, in uh, New York City. And that's a big deal. Now, Mayor Bill de Blasio says it's not a big deal, not a problem. Services haven't been shut down. But, of course, that's what everybody's saying. You know, the airlines are, you know, Southwest, the uh, uh, the whatever, the cancellation of all those flights a couple of weeks ago was had nothing to do with their mandate that went into effect the Friday before. Nothing to do with it, remember? It was wind, some mysterious wind that didn't shut any other airlines down. And the same thing happened over the weekend. American Airlines had to shut down tons of flights, but it had nothing, listen, had nothing to do with the mandate. Nothing to see here. Uh, but we know that that's not true because the dates are just too coincidental. In fact, okay, so back to New York, 9,000 New York City workers, including firefighters and officers, are on unpaid leave over this mandate. And so um, I want you to hear what the, uh, the uh, let's see, I think this guy is the, um, he's the head of the Unified Firefighters Association talking about the vaccine mandates and their effect on firefighters. That's Andrew Osbro. Let's listen. Well, by design, they don't want to work with us. When you tell someone they have nine days, nine days to make the decision for vaccination or lose their job, they don't want to work with you. Uh, teachers were given over a month. Uh, corrections doesn't have to make this decision until December 1st. Uh, so once again, uh, the mayor is ch uh, showing that people that uh, care for criminals have more, uh, more rights than people that care for the average New Yorker. Now, I would just like to go back to the... Uh, the notion that 2,300 firefighters have gone out sick over this. The department doesn't share their numbers with us, but uh, the commissioner of the department actually said today that uh, he believes there's a sick out and it's vaccine related. And the vast majority of the firefighters that are out sick are unvaccinated. You, you can't claim that the unvaccinated firefighters are causing a staffing shortage because this morning you were sending them home. So they wouldn't have been working either way. Now, it's no secret that New York City firefighters love their jobs. They continue to work hurt. And when those firefighters, we believe, were faced with the possibility of losing their jobs, they wanted to document those injuries before they went out the door. Uh, he's also not taking into account those numbers are skewed by the fact that we have firefighters that are always sick and injured from firefighter-related duties uh, even before that. Before this vaccine mandate started, we had 16 firefighters out on medical leave, firefighting-related medical leave, for every one firefighter out on COVID leave, one half of 1% of the fire department was out with COVID. There are people that claim that we're anti-vaccine. I was vaccinated the first day and I educated my members to the best of my ability as to the vaccine. But from the very beginning, there were a lot of my members that felt they didn't need it because they were already uh, infected previously. Now, what came out of Cook County today does bring us hope. Uh, we, do, uh, we are counting on the lawsuits here. We're not anti-vaccine, we're anti-mandate. And we just want our day in court. Eight, eight days, eight days to go from, I'm sorry, nine days to go from the announcement to compliance doesn't give you enough time to have your day in court. We just want our day in court. 
Yeah, they just want their day in court. And speaking of that, I want to encourage you because in Chicago, a federal judge has blocked a hospital from putting unvaccinated workers on unpaid leave. This uh, Liberty Council was representing these uh, uh, medical workers. Uh, let's see. It was U.S. District Judge John Ness on Friday issued a temporary restraining order against the hospital system. And uh, he said during the hearing, they can't be fired and they can't be placed on what is effectively, in my mind, unpaid leave. North Shore is going to have to keep paying them. If you wish to require them to show up to work and use personal protective equipment and go through testing because you need the help and you don't want to pay them to be off-site, that's up to the hospital. Uh, and so um, Liberty Council said... North Shore has already started pur purging those employees with sincere religious objections to its mandatory COVID-19 vaccination policy and removed many employees with religious exemptions from its November work schedule. So they're fighting back, and at this point, at least, they have a favorable judgment on that, and that's that should encourage all of you. You know, frontline doctors, you know, for a while I think they were struggling to keep up because uh, with the Delta variant there were so many more people getting sick, and I told you, uh, they were not responding to people like they had been. I think they're up and running again, just so you know. And one of the things that they're uh, sponsoring is a is a just don't work, walk out, just, you know, do, refuse, refuse uh, these mandates. Um, and so, and you know, I have to say, I think that you ha there are certainly constitutional grounds that aren't even religious exemptions. No one should have to have something injected into them that they don't want to have. I mean, that is just a violation, uh, of just reprehensible violation. And I'm going to tell you why a few minutes later. I'm going to get into that a little bit more. But I, I do want you to hear this, Sheriff. This, let's go out to California for a second because Alex Villanueva, who is the L.A. County Sheriff, is talking. Uh, he was talking to Tucker Carlson, I think, last night about how the vaccine mandates are affecting uh, their department. Let's listen. Well, the, the results are very obvious. For example, I have a 20% increase in people that are putting into retire early. That's over 100 people right there. Another 300 plus are filing workers' compensation claims. That's a 22% increase. I have 238 right. deputies are now applying for out-of-county jobs that do not have vaccine mandates. And I have 1,600 potential people that have 28 years or more of service. They could just walk away and not lose a penny and not even look back. And that is a huge threat to the department is already severely understaffed, but the Board of Supervisors is just, they don't care apparently. It takes me almost a year and a half to replace an entry level worker, to replace a veteran 30 year expert in whatever capacity, for example, a homicide investigator. Yeah. Those are decades that it takes to replace someone like that. And you cannot quantify the, the impact that is on public safety, but guarantee you, homicides will go up. A lot of things are going to go up, and response time is going to get longer and longer. Well, I got a lot of people that are thanking me from across the political spectrum, except for yeah. one group. The woke left who somehow embrace this idea like it's another cultural war to fight and mandates. But where is all the data that supports mandates? They're not looking at hard science and hard data. They're yeah. going with, uh, well, it feels good to have a mandate. Yes, and I, I also, there is so much I want to tell you in the few minutes that I have, so just fasten your seatbelt and listen fast, okay? I told you about this before, but I want to emphasize it again. OSHA, which is the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, which is supposed to keep you safe at your workplace, okay? Make sure it's safe, that you have 
whatever you need, whatever your industry you're working in, whatever you need to keep you safe as a worker, to keep big corporations from taking advantage of people who are individuals and can't fight back. But OSHA's sort of gotten a little bit on the left, just a little, I'm saying. And as a matter of fact, in May, they stopped making employers report adverse reactions to the vaccine. And, of course, uh, businesses like that because if they don't have to report adverse uh, reactions to this vaccine that they're forcing people to take, because, after all, this isn't a law. It's not even an executive order. It's something that the president mentioned in a press conference that he hasn't done yet. And yet these corporations are marching forth to, you know, mandate these vaccines all on their own, showing how, you know, how woke they are. Aren't we proud? And so um, they're kind of happy they're not having to record these because that's going to help them when they have to go to court when they are sued because there won't be a record of these kinds of things. And uh, so I want to remind you of that. Also, um, so the, he was talking about the, the sheriff right there from Los Angeles was, was talking about the woke left and how much they love that. And that reminded me of a New York Times reporter who was on CNN last night. His name is David Lennart. Uh, and I want you to hear what he had to say about these vaccine mandates. Clip nine. I would say if you're not a member of the media, I think it's important to keep in mind that we in the media have a real bad news bias. And <laughs> some of that is healthy. We're confronted constantly with spokespeople from corporations and politicians and athletes who are trying to tell us how everything is wonderful and perfect. And so you really want us to have a certain skepticism. But um, we often go too far. And so what that means is that good news, when cases are declining or the vaccines are working, tends to not receive very much attention. And bad news receives enormous attention. And so when you're listening to COVID news, just remember that it's coming through this filter that we in the media often have this bad news bias. And so dog bite man, man bites dog, the vaccine mandates have actually been amazingly successful. They've led a lot more people to get vaccinated who had not previously get vaccinated. Not that many people have decided to quit or get fired because of it. But of course, we tend to hear a lot more about the outliers. They're real. They, they need some attention. But just remember that they are outliers. Well, speaking of outliers, Dan Bongino, popular radio host, is out there saying he might quit his radio show. He doesn't agree with Cumulus having a vaccine mandate. Even though he's vaccinated, he wants to stand up for the staffers who don't want to get the vaccination. And then there's this amazing story out of Hollywood, Ice Cube quitting a movie, apparently because he declined the COVID vaccine. THR says he's giving up $9 million. He's giving up a $9 million payday because he doesn't want to get vaccinated. So these, these outliers, these stories... They're interesting because they're shocking. Like they're like, who would give up nine million dollars, you know, not to get vaccinated? But then these stories exist and they do merit some attention. They do. I, the thing I would say is when people quit or get fired because they won't take the vaccine, I would think of that. There is some real good news there. I mean, it is your legal right to not take the vaccine. We live in a country that prioritizes individual freedom. Um, but if you refuse to take the vaccine, you're putting a lot of people's parents and grandparents, um, including some who are vaccinated, people who are immunocompromised, you are putting those people at risk of serious illness or even death. And so if the punishment that you need to take for potentially harming others um, is you can't have the job you have, I don't have a problem with that. Um, you're choosing to put others at risk. Um, people who can't protect themselves. And that means um, uh, I don't have a lot of sympathy for what you have to forfeit. Yeah, so thank you, David Leonard. I appreciate that. Of course, that's a bunch of lies because now we know that uh, in many cases, in many countries, 
Uh, in fact, Great Britain is one of them. Uh, Israel is another one. Uh, people who are dying and in the hospitals are fully vaccinated. That's who's dying in six. So it's not really true, you know, that the vaccine really does much of anything. And I found it really interesting. You know, Brian Stelter is the voice, the other voice you heard that was on CNN. A CNN per, uh, a contributor, Midwin Charles, has died after getting the COVID vaccine. Uh, she passed away in the spring. I think her family did not tell anyone. She was 47 years old. She died um, after taking, she had received the first dose on March the 1st. She died days after she would have received the second dose. And um, and so uh, he, I don't know if he maybe didn't get the memo on that. I don't know. I guess they still think. And by the way, the iron, irony is that Midwin Charles had been a strong, she's black, She'd been a strong promoter of the vaccine and used her social media to push that. She posted, I just got vaccinated, uh, and, uh, you know, how people do. I don't know why they do this. Like, I'm, like, we should be excited they got a shot. But they do that, and now she's dead after taking both doses. I, want, I guess she doesn't have to report it uh, to see. CNN didn't have to report it, and so I guess that's why Brian maybe didn't know it and has no sympathy. Um, I want to also mention something that's very deep and important, and I have to do it quickly. <clears throat> you know that this this conference is taking place in Europe right now. Our president is there. And uh, many of these leaders, Prince Charles is one of them, uh, Boris Johnson, uh, Joe Biden, uh, uh, Queen Elizabeth II, I, uh, Prince Charles, I, could, I, I can't belabor this, but they are uh, extremely concerned about COVID, that everyone got a shot. They're extremely concerned about global warming. And, of course, it all boils down to population control, and they actually are saying that. I don't have time to play the clips for you, but if we could just get rid of the people, we could save the planet. And so uh, the, the, the observation is made, isn't it interesting that they are so concerned about everyone, even children who are not at risk getting this vaccine that uh, replaces your immune system and may likely cause millions of people be unprotected from future infection, that the global population control folk are all about that. Think about it. Sandy Rios in the morning. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.